0: Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to the Gospel according to Mark. And we're turning to Mark chapter 10. You'll find this on page 845 in the Church Bibles. And for those who have been visiting, or visiting with us, we have been working through uh, the Gospel of Mark in our mornings together. And we're, uh, we've been, in recent weeks, been looking at a lot of the, the themes around discipleship. Uh, Jesus has been describing what it means to follow him in practical terms. And here uh, we're coming to a very practical item uh, with uh, marriage and the issue of divorce. Mar- uh, sorry, Mark chapter 10 and beginning our reading at verse 1. This is speaking about Jesus. Jesus. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Human relationships uh, can be messy, Uh, relationships can be ruptured, Uh, friendships and relationships can be separated. Uh, And when that happens, it is a very painful thing when people are driven apart. And that can happen not just in terms of friendships, long-standing friendships. It can also happen even in the most intimate of relationships in marriage itself. Divorce is something that affects our lives. Uh, Maybe you yourself have passed through uh, the experience of divorce. Or you know someone Uh, who has gone through divorce themselves and the pain that is associated with it. How are we to think about uh, issues like this? And this morning, as we turn back to Mark's gospel, what we find is is that Jesus speaks into the mess of our lives. He speaks into the pain uh, that is part of human experience. And Jesus helps us navigate through these issues, ultimately uh, seeking God's will. And this morning, as we're doing so, we want to see that despite the messiness of life, uh, we ought to remember God's design as it uncovers both the longing of our hearts, but also of God's purposes for us. We want to look at uh, these, uh, this, uh, these verses this morning in two thoughts. We want to think about it in terms of a trap that is set for Jesus, a trap about divorce, But then secondly, we want to think about the truth that Jesus conveys through uh, this topic or on the issue of divorce. We are told that in verse 1 that Jesus left there and he came to the region of Judea. And once again, Jesus is teaching them. Uh, But while this is happening, the Pharisees uh, take advantage of the opportunity to pose a question to Jesus. Is it permitted for a man to divorce his wife? Uh, But as we are looking at this, you notice there in verse 2 that the question is being posed to Jesus, not because the Pharisees actually are interested in learning from Jesus on this. They're not actually concerned about uh, the legitimacy of the issue. Rather, what they're looking for is something that they can use to test Jesus. That word for testing is the idea of trapping. Uh, They are trying to catch Jesus in his words uh, and to use those words against him. Because divorce is uh, a a hot-button issue. Uh, It is something that is deeply personal. Uh, It is something that uh, is uh, going to trigger or something that is going to uh, deal with our own emotions. It's a very emotional uh, part of a person's experience. And so for Jesus to speak on this issue is going to be something that is going to cause a reaction. And in that sense, it is uh, something that can be used as a trap against him. But it's more than just the emotive or the personal, very personal aspect of the issue of divorce that they're using to trap Jesus. It told us there that it was when Jesus came into Judea that the Pharisees now pitched this question at him. And you remember that the region of Judea is the region that is under the jurisdiction of Herod. And you remember that Herod was someone who had divorced his wife. Herod had divorced his wife in order to take the wife of his brother Philip. He had taken Herodias for himself. And if you remember earlier in Mark's gospel that when that happened, John the Baptist confronted Herod about the unlawfulness of what he was doing. John the Baptist confronted Herod and called out sin for sin. And the result of that was that John the Baptist was beheaded. Uh, he died for what he did in calling out Herod's actions. But now that Jesus is coming into the jurisdiction of Herod as he is uh, being uh, teaching the crowds, the Pharisees are using this as a, uh, an opportunity to pose a question to Jesus that could be used against him as it is reflected on Herod's own actions. So it's a trap. Uh, in the sense that it is something that is uh, going to provoke a great emotional response. It is a trap in the sense that it has political connotations as well. But more than that, it's a trap because of its theological consequences. This is a question that was hotly debated uh, from the Old Testament on. The people of Israel wrestled with the whole issue of divorce, And the reason is, is because the Old Testament does talk about divorce. If you turn to Deuteronomy 24, it'll tell us that uh, Moses talks about a situation in which a man issues a certificate of divorce. And in that situation, it's talking about uh, a scenario where a man divorces his wife, she marries another man, then that man dies, and the law says the first husband is not permitted to marry her again. And so all of this is describing a scenario where uh, after a man has divorced his wife, she marries again. He's not to remarry her if that situation were to arise that her second husband died. But in Deuteronomy 24, it gives the grounds for divorce. And it says the grounds for divorce is something indecent is found in her. Or as the King James puts it, something unclean. And what happened to us is that the people of God in the Old Covenant believed that there were grounds for divorce, but they they were divided over what those grounds were, what constituted something indecent, or what constituted something unclean. There was a very uh, a, a more narrow view that saw that this indecency was. Some form of sexual act. Uh, It was a sexual sin that gave the grounds for dissolving that marriage. Whereas the more relaxed view, a more broad view, saw that standard much lower. And it said that anything the husband finds that is unpleasant to him, he can use as grounds for divorce. So there's these two camps or two ways of thinking about divorce. And now the question is being posed to Jesus Uh, What is it that you think about this whole issue? And so at the very least, uh, Jesus' answer is going to upset one camp. And it is something that is uh, perhaps touching on a mindset that can quickly cultivate itself in the people. This mindset that they have the right to divorce. And Jesus here has to speak to the issue that may challenge some of their own presuppositions. So there's, uh, it is a trap because it is uh, ad- ad- addressing a heart attitude. In response, Jesus uh, says to them, what did Moses command you? And they respond by saying, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce. Just as marriage is public and formal, because marriage is not just about a private decision. Marriage is... Societal. Marriage has impacts, it has <coughs> repercussions on society. And so it's a public act that affects the whole community. It is a formal act because it has a binding nature to it. And so just as a marriage is something that is public and formal, so a divorce must be public and formal. That's what the whole divorce certificate was meant to convey. It is now publicly dissolved. It is no longer to be thought as uh, legally binding by the community. The community now understands what has happened in this relationship. And so Jesus here says, well, what did Moses command you? But you notice that the, the Pharisees themselves have to be careful in the way they answer. They say Moses didn't command. Moses permitted Moses permitted a man. He gave allowance for a man to divorce his wife. But it wasn't the matter of commanding. It was a matter of concession. In other words, what they're acknowledging by their very answer is, is that divorce isn't to be looked at as a bubble in and of itself. Divorce is to be looked at as a certain scenario. It is how to respond in an extreme situation it is like responding in case of emergencies. This is what you do. You think about flying. Uh, if you want to learn how to fly, you don't spend all your time learning uh, or just strictly learning how to eject uh, your, your seat from the jet plane. You don't spend all your time trying to learn just what do I do for, to do a crash landing. If you're going to learn how to fly, you begin with the ideal. You begin with saying, how do I fly a plane? And when you understand how things are supposed to go, then you can think about, what do we do in the cases of emergency? What do we do in the case where we have to do some kind of emergency uh, escape? And so Jesus here is simply bringing things into focus. Did Moses require you to divorce? And they're saying, no, Moses permitted a certificate of divorce to be given, which is framing the whole thing here. We're not dealing with the ideal. We're rather dealing with the idea of a concession, some kind of circumstance, some kind of situation that calls for it. So the trap is set for Jesus. But Jesus is going to use this situation to teach them the truth about God's design. And we want to think about the truth that Jesus here uh, presses upon them in a couple of thoughts. First, as he's talking about divorce, he says it reveals something about us. And it fails to realize something about God's design. Well, first, it uh, it reveals something about ourselves. Jesus then goes on in verse 5 and he says, Uh, because of your hardness of heart he wrote this wrote to you this commandment but from the beginning of creation God made them male and female so Jesus here is speaking about this situation of divorce and it's very easy for the Pharisees or for the Israelites to think about divorce as simply a right of choice Uh, it's my own choice uh, and I can do what I please and Jesus is simply stepping back and saying, divorce happens because of hardness of heart. The <coughs> law allowed for divorce because it recognized something about human beings. And so as they're, they're focusing on this issue, is divorce right? Can a man do it? Uh, divorce his wife as he sees fit. Jesus is saying, The whole thing happens because there's something distorted in the human condition. That it's because of the hardness of heart. That language of hardness of heart is meant to describe, and elsewhere in scripture, it describes someone who is stubbornly refusing to apply God's truth. Someone that will not listen to God's word. And so Jesus here is saying, the reason why Moses, or the law, allowed for divorce is because the law itself recognizes that when people get married, they're both sinners. And when two sinners get married, they can sin against each other. And in a relationship that is meant to be intimate and secure and trustworthy, the sin can be especially horrific. And so Jesus is saying, When we think about divorce, the reason why it was instituted is because sin creeps in and is destructive and it ruins relationships. And so Jesus is simply drawing out something of our own uh, hearts that people can uh, act out in ways that are very selfish and uh, sinful. And so here he, he makes that point. Uh, The law recognized the need to allow for provisions of divorce because the law recognized that two sinners are marrying together. And there are certain situations, certain conditions, where it may be necessary to provide a way of escape for the innocent party. So whereas some people were thinking just about the right to divorce, uh, Jesus is thinking about the human heart. Marriages then don't simply run out of love. Uh, that might be the way people talk. But it's, it's burying the presence of sin. It's ignoring the problem of sin itself. Sometimes when celebrities talk about the end of their marriages, they might talk about it simply as a new chapter in their life. It's, it's no more meaningful than simply moving houses or changing jobs. It's just a new chapter, a new choice that they're making. They might refer to their ex as their best friend still. But the truth is is that when divorce is happening, it is, it is a rupture of trust. It, in, the, in the place of safety, there is now wounds. In, in the place of intimacy, there is now separation. It is a meaningful thing that is happening, but it is a very painful thing that is happening. And so, as we think about it, it shouldn't be something that we think of as simply neutral. Divorce is an awful reality. And it happens, Jesus says, because of sin. And it is something that tears relationships apart. And so all of this is uh, trying to highlight something of the distorted or the corrupt nature uh, of human uh, longings, that we can be more interested in ourselves than even in a person that we've pledged to love as long as we live. Doesn't that begin to picture something of the selfishness of the human heart? That we commit ourselves to loving another person, but then over time something happens and that is no longer a reality that is realized. So with the trap that was set for Jesus and Jesus begins to convey truth through this mess, through the difficulty of divorce, and the first thing that he says is that it reveals something of the human heart, the stubbornness. To not acknowledge God's ways is right. But more than that, he also highlights that divorce uh, fails to acknowledge or to realize God's design. Look back in verse 6. Jesus says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And then he goes on and he's quoting not just uh, his own thoughts. Well, he is quoting his own thoughts, but he's quoting from the Old Testament, isn't he? Uh, He's quoting here from Genesis chapter two. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer uh, two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus is saying a lot of things in those verses there. Uh, He's appealing to scripture uh, to explain to them how they're to think about divorce. That divorce is to be looked at in light of the big picture of God's design. God's design was marriage. That divorce is an offshoot of a failed marriage. (coughs) But Jesus says we have to think about divorce in light of what God intended. And notice how he describes it. He says three things about marriage. First, that marriage is something that is instituted by God. Marriage is not a societal construct that we can define as we please. Marriage is something that God has established, and it has no meaning apart from God's verdict. God instituted marriage between a man and a woman. And so it is his to define, and it is his purpose to explain So marriage is something instituted by God. But then secondly, marriage is designed by God uh, to create a sacred bond of unity, a sacred bond of trust in a world of chaos. Uh, Notice there, the two shall become one flesh. So they will no longer be two, but one flesh. They will be connected in every way. They are to share with one another in the journey of life, their heart, their hope and uh, to be a help to one another. What is marriage then? It is a bond of trust. It is a bond of intimacy that God has established. In a world where there's so much unsettlement, there is this this safety, there is this bond that one can rely upon and to grow and flourish in. And so it is a gift of God that is meant to build one up and to be a help uh, to the other. But also, marriage is described in a third way. Not only is it instituted by God, not only is it designed to give that sense of security, uh, of unity, but also it is meant to give that sense of endurance or security. There was to be a wall of trust surrounding this delicate bond so that it might deepen and blossom. It was designed to endure. Marriage then isn't just for a season of life or for however long I want but rather marriage was designed to endure so that one might enjoy the uh, protection and the safety of that relationship. If God designed marriage as a place of intimacy then between a man and a woman, and if God designed it as an enduring relationship, we might think that Jesus is suggesting that Moses may have allowed for divorce, but that he doesn't. And then you read in verses 10 and tw- uh, through 12 it might even confirm that for you. You could read these verses and think that Jesus is saying, Moses allowed for divorce, but I don't. But that's why we need to make sure we're always reading scripture in light of the whole of scripture. Because while Jesus doesn't give any exceptions or qualifications here, he seems very absolute. And when he says, if a man divorces his wife and marries another, he commits adultery. At the same time, When you read in the parallel accounts, if you read in Matthew's gospel, the same occasion, Jesus does provide exceptions. Jesus does explain that there are grounds for divorce. Jesus says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So Jesus does see grounds for divorce. There are times when it is a permissible or a legitimate course to take. Sexual immorality that Jesus speaks of is a word to describe sexual sin. It would include things like adultery. It is a sexual act that breaches that bond of trust. And Jesus is saying in such a situation that it would be a permissible course to take. But we live in the post-1986 No Fault Divorce Act. Um, where divorce has become... uh, The grounds for divorce is basically marriage breakdown, uh, as broad as that. And so in a culture now that looks at divorce as something that can be easily pursued, the church needs guidance and wisdom as to how they think through these matters. It would be easy, on the one hand, to simply reflect and to imitate the way that the wider culture thinks about divorce... And to just think about it as something that happens and something that a person chooses. But Jesus here uh, explains that there are are standards, there are measures uh, that are needed to be uh, acknowledged. That divorce is not something that should be rushed into, but rather something that is uh, only legitimate in extreme or in cases of emergency. At the other extreme, though, the church needs to be aware of flipping uh, to the other extreme. The church can swing from imitating the wider culture on divorce as an easy escape from our responsibilities to the other extreme of alleging that Christians should never get divorced. Sometimes there can even be an underlying pressure on the innocent party to stay in a marriage. Where there is sexual immorality, uh, there can be uh, a pressure sometimes for churches to advocate their The healing of that relationship to such a point that it puts guilt on the innocent party to stay in a relationship uh, where they are uh, they're doing so uh, against their own free choice in other words as we think through this the church needs to be on guard against placing a burden on someone that god does not yes genuine repentance can happen Yes, genuine reconciliation is a beautiful thing and a testimony of God's grace, but the church must also be recognizing that not all ruptures are going to be healed and not to put a burden on someone where God has given them permission to leave. As David Jones himself points out, rigorous standards are not necessarily righteous and it is not godly to be more strict than God. Rigorous standards are not necessarily righteous, and it is not godly to be more strict than God. If a person has been sinned against, and the other party has committed a sexual sin, there is the liberty, the permission, biblically, to leave that relationship. They have the grounds to do so. They are not required to, but they need to understand uh, what scripture says. So Jesus here is trying to explain the truth about divorce. It reveals something of our heart, the hardness of heart when people will sin against one another. It also uh, fails to acknowledge or fails to realize God's design. Divorce is not neutral. It is an awful end of the human heart. Uh, It it fails to realize God's design. Nevertheless, there are times when it is a legitimate course of action. But then why did God even create divorce or marriage? Uh, When we think about this, when we think about how Jesus himself says that divorce is going to happen, uh, that uh, people that marry two sinners come together and one can sin uh, very uh, greatly against another, Why even pursue marriage? Why even have a high view of marriage when these things can happen? And Jesus here is helping us understand that it is, as we were singing in Psalm 128, it is for the good of human civilization. It is for the good and the betterment of society because God orders things. That God has order and purpose for human flourishing. But it goes beyond simply society. It's because Jesus wants to preserve a picture of God's grace because marriage is meant to point beyond simply the intimacy of a man and a woman coming together. Marriage is meant to point to the intimacy of a God who binds himself to his people and shows his love to them and ultimately delivers them from their own uh, sins. God instituted marriage in order to communicate the wonder of his grace And so when we think about what marriage is, there's a longing for intimacy. But there's also a fear of betrayal, a fear of being able to trust, of that safety. And when you think about the the push and pull, the tug and pull of a longing for intimacy and yet a fear of being rejected, those two aspects ultimately find their, their resolution in Jesus himself. Because in Christ we find someone who already knows you and yet still extends his love towards you. We see someone who comes as the bridegroom seeking to save sinners. And so there's the ability to be intimate with one who already knows you. But more than that, we see not only his intimacy, we see the safety that is found in him. He is faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is so faithful... uh, to his bride that he would rather die than to send her off in her sins. So why is it that marriage is so important? It's because it pictures God's salvation. Recently I was helping someone move and there was a great care over certain portraits that were being put on the moving truck. And you could stop and say, why are you so concerned about these portraits? They're portraits. And yet they portray a reality that is precious. Why should Christians, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're single, why should Christians be so concerned about the institution of marriage? Because it's a portrait. Because it portrays the reality of God's love. Because it's something precious that we see of God's salvation in Jesus. And for that reason, we want to take great care in the way that we protect it. Yes, there will be some marriages where sin tears them apart. But that doesn't mean we throw out everything that God has established. we rather say this is something that we want to exercise great care over because it pictures something beautiful. It teaches us about God. And so as we think about it, we see why Jesus would enter into this discussion. Why Jesus does speak to the matter of divorce and what he's trying to protect. A picture that communicates what Christ ultimately came to do. He is the bridegroom who comes for his bride. And as scripture itself teaches us, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's the story of the Bible. A great marriage between Christ and his bride. And so as you think about marriage and divorce, you have to ask yourself, do I, do I see God's purpose in marriage? Not just for human flourishing, but do you see God's purpose in marriage for salvation? Are you part of that bride that Christ has come to redeem? And are you secure in his love and delighting in the intimacy of a God and Savior who knows you and yet still welcomes you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think over these difficult matters, that you would grant to us uh, understanding, that we would uh, see their importance, but ultimately that they would point us to the salvation in Christ. Go before us then, we pray, in Jesus' name.